He shoots, he draws is sponsored by the Westcott Rapid Box Switch. Isn't it time you made the switch? Do it today at www.fjwestcott.com backslash switch. I'm Dave Edwards. I used to be private 1462-3393. Dave Edwards of the 2nd Battalion, the Monmouthshire Regiment, 53rd Welsh Infantry Division. Welcome to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast, the show about photography and design, with your hosts, Glyn Dewis and Dave Clayton. Hello and welcome back to He Shoots, He Draws with me, Glyn Dewis, and what would be my co-host Dave Clayton. However, this week, seeing as we're now in the month of May and the 75th anniversary of D-Day and the Normandy campaign is fast approaching, we wanted to share a recent chat that I'd had with the veteran David Edwards. Now, I recently had the pleasure of meeting and photographing David thanks to having been contacted by his son, Chris, and I'm now so incredibly proud to have made new friends. I've been to David's home in Abergavenny, Wales, a few times now, and from the first time we all met, it felt like we'd known each other for many, many years. Photographing and talking with him has been an absolute privilege, and I'm so thankful that photography and my ongoing World War II project has meant that we've met. Such is the power of photography, huh? Now, this is a recording I made when filming an interview with David about his wartime experience from when he joined up, training for Normandy, and many other experiences, including the inevitable military haircut. Now, I've placed short gaps in between each segment, but the filming I'm going to be showing at the exhibition, which starts on the 5th of October at the Soldiers of Oxfordshire Museum in Woodstock, which we've mentioned a couple of times already on this podcast, but the actual recording here is actually uh, basically consists of questions that I posed to Dave as we chatted so without further delay let me introduce you to my friend world war ii veteran david edwards when i got to a certain age and this was in 1943 because you were called up at 18 for military service and uh, some fellas joined a little bit early but i thought well i'm going i'll go when they want me and i knew i'd be going to the army and my father, who was in the Marmishal Regiment and the military police, and had a varied experience, which included being on the security at the secret place at Bletchley. He was there. We had no idea he was there, but he, he wasn't involved in the cold breaking or anything like that. But um, he was there as a, with the security unit, which told me years later that he must have been trusted to be working there, you know, and he'd been a long time involved with the military himself. So uh, off I go to Bracken to start my training at, at Bracken Barracks, which is very interesting. I can remember when we were first there and we were all lined up, uh, young chaps from all different backgrounds, and I can remember the corporal uh, was a, to me, he looked at, he filled his uniform. He was, every, every crease in the uniform was filled with flesh. And he strutted over to us with his big, a big stick with a silver top on it. And he strutted over to us. And he started to tell us how the army would look after us. That meant we would do exactly what the army said. There were no ifs, no buts. 
and if you stepped out of line, they dealt with you. And they made sure that you got back into line. And that was that was a good description. And he, I remember that he was full of the old army sayings from serving abroad in different places. And he strutted around and he's, he's, uh, one of the sayings was, if you broke your mother's heart, you won't break mine and you won't break the army. <laughs> so he made us understand what it was going to be like. So that was my first introduction to the, to the military life. Training. I forget then, which was like the initial training, and everybody was completely new to the business. But uh, I, I think it was about two or three months, very, very initial training. And then we went off to the battalions, different battalions. They, I forget how many battalions there were then. Uh, I went to the second battalion of the Momager Regiment, but I know there were two other battalions. And they came from different parts of Monmouthshire. One battalion would be mainly from around Newport, another one from around Abertillery or something like that. That's how it seemed to, to be arranged. I was sent down to Kent to join the battalion, which were in Kent. And I joined the 2nd Battalion of the Monmouthshire Regiment, which was an infantry battalion. The training was tremendous. We were getting ready for Normandy. I didn't know anything about Normandy, but that's what we were doing. We were being prepared to go to Normandy, and um, it, 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 it was infantry training of a different sort because you were digging in and all sorts of exercises, which you wouldn't get normally, you know, but the war was on, and they, they knew we'd be going, and they knew we'd be with an infantry regiment, which was pretty Grim, I must say, when I first experienced it, it, it was grim, and the, being in action with a, an infantry battalion was certainly very, very nerve-making, grim business. You had to settle down to it. And I knew a number of fellows went what they used to call bomb-happy. We were trading so much with explosives, and then when we actually got into action in Normandy, with all that went on, chaps would have to go back with... Uh, what they called, they went bomb-happy. We described it as being bomb-happy, but it was a breakdown of the nervous system, it was. That's what we understood it to be. And um, it used to affect chaps in different ways. Um, one chap that I remember, he took his uniform off completely and he got completely naked. And we used to have a, a, a kit called Blancoin. It was like a, a chalk based, um, not glue, but funny sort of stuff, and you wet it, and it was like a thin paste, and you put that onto your webbing equipment. It, it was waterproofing stuff in, and he waterproofed him stuff himself all over. He went into the washroom and got the bl Blanco, it was called, and he got this Blanco, which was a greeny colour, and he blanketed himself from head to foot. He was sent off to a, a military prison, I understand. He went to a military, I think it was at Aldershot, and he went there. They used to send the bo bad boys, the very bad boys, they they be sent to Aldershot. With the Normandy campaign taking place, we go over to Normandy, 
and join the battalion there as as reinforcements, you know. We we knew the war was on and we knew that we'd have to go and put into action what we'd been training for. We knew that, but we didn't know when. And you, I suppose being young, it was like a big adventure as well. Most of us were going away for the first time from home, so all of it was a new sort of adventure. And I, I looked at it like that until we got there. We soon learned what it was all about, without a doubt. And your attitude changed, and you knew that the sooner it was over, the sooner you'd go back home. And so you sort of buckled down and got on with the training and wanted to finish it off, and then into action. And we, we saw action in Normandy. And the city of Corn was the objective, the main objective, but we were fighting in areas called Hill 112 and Hill 113. So it was just a hillside to us. Although we could see the city, from the top of Hill 112, we could see the city of Corn um, with the naked eye, you know, it was that near. Hill 112, as I remember. That was quite a nasty business. Before we went to Hill 112, it, it was just countryside with hills and things, the usual, very much like home. And uh, the hedgerows, they called it the battle, later they called it the Battle of the Bocage, which is the French term for this type of country. Um, sunken lanes, hedges, and little little copses of wood and trees. And my memories of Hill 112 are of a bare hillside with just a little group of trees on the top which, which had been shelled so much to that area that they were like telegraph poles. The branches had all been blown off them and they were straight, that stumps and that. But the branches had been blown off by the explosives and they, they looked like straight trunks. And there was, a, on top of the hill, World War II, there was a little group of trees that did look like straight trunks and nothing else. All the branches blown off and scattered. It was quite a feature, unknown to me. They'd fought for it for some time. Different regiments had fought for it. And, and as a result, it was devastated. That's a little woodland, you know. I was what they call a boy clerk before I went to the army. And my dad, knowing the situation, had told my mother that with my experience I would be in an office somewhere. And the first notification she got from me was a little, a little pre-printed card which said, I am happy and well, I am this. But then there was part... I have been wounded, slight, serious, and you crossed out the part that was relevant. And my first car home <laughs> said something like, um, I've been wounded, I'm in hospital at... I was slightly wounded in the, in the leg, you know. And I went to a hospital called Scarcroft. I think it was near Leeds. And I remember there were a variety of chaps there had been wounded, all sorts of wounds. And there was one chap who had been wounded in the throat. And he was beginning to talk again. And he used to croak, 
you know, trying to talk properly. I remember that pretty well. I was a bit friendly with him, and he used to talk to me in a croaking fashion, you know. I was wounded in um, near 112. I was wounded in the left leg, and uh, one morning the sergeant said to me, we're moving this opposition to come me, Edwards, and I went with him, and uh, I hadn't got far. We were being fired at, and I felt as if I'd been kicked in the left leg. It was like being kicked playing football. And then when I put my foot on the ground, I couldn't keep up. I'd be limping very, very badly. Then I realised that my ankle was all wet. Of course, I'd been bleeding down into my ankle and boots, you know. And um, I went to the casualty clearing station. They fixed me up. And I don't think... I don't think I went to a hospital. Casualty clearing station, they used to call them, where they sorted you out, you know. And if you weren't badly wounded, you went straight back. But they kept me back a bit, because I think muscles had been cut, and um, they wanted to be fitter, you know. I, I was limping pretty badly, to say the least. And uh, so I forget what I went through then. Um, I, oh, I went to a, a military hospital at Taunton, or near Taunton. I remember Taunton was the word the lads were saying was the nearest town, and um, there were fellows who'd been wounded in all sorts of ways there, getting ready. And as soon as you got to a reasonable state, you were back, you were sent back. And I, and I can remember an incident, you know, and your name would come up on orders that the following day you'd be on the move, you know, and get your kit ready. And I, I was in this room, and from the next room I could hear a thud, thud, thud. I thought, what's going on there? And I walked in, and there was a, a chap there with a bucket of water and a towel, and he tied a knot in the towel, and it was in the bucket of water, and he was beating his knee with with... With this knotted towel, he was beating his knee. It was already swollen up, black and blue as bruises go, swollen up. And I said, to me, "You lose your you, you lose your leg. What are you doing?" And he said, "I'm not going back to that." He said, "I don't care what I do with it." He said, "They can take it off if they like, but I'm not going back there." And that's the state you got to. Yeah, to, to be of that kind of state of mind to want yes. to hurt yourself so you yes. can go back. It says a lot. Ah, tremendous. But he was only the odd one. Most of the fellas, I can remember, we'd be going out on um, forced marches where they'd force you to keep marching to see how fit you were. And I can remember the chaps, one group, were pretending to be sheep, you know, because they were herded out, <laughs> in a way. And I could, they were going, bear, bear. <laughs> to the annoyance of the sergeant in charge. Right, okay. <laughs> All right, let's just quickly check that uh, over there. This, uh, it sounds, the sound is beautiful. Is it? sound good, yeah. Good, good. And the video footage is looking great. Aye. Mm. I remember one incident in the training when one of the officers, to make things realistic, decided to throw blood on us. Now, he had no human blood, so he went to the local slaughterhouse 
and got pig's blood from the slaughter of the pigs. And the idea was when we were on a, an assault course, which was made as realistically as they could, you'd climb a little wall and get, go through some water and all the rest of it. He would throw some pig's blood on us. He got into trouble over it. Some of the fellows complained. And I remember he disappeared, but he did. we understood he'd got into trouble. There was no way to train people, you know. Now, that would be the house in Mondrianville in Normandy. And uh, when we first came, we were in the garden of the house. We didn't know anything about the house at all then. Of course, it was just a French farmhouse type of place. And we were dug in in the garden. And... Uh, I remember when things had quietened down, I went up into the house and it was slightly damaged in different ways. But, and of course, the Germans had been in there. The Germans had been in there. And there was stuff lying about all on the floors. And that, by the doorway, there were photographs. Well, to me, there were pieces of card lying on the floor with letters and other stuff that they'd chucked down. And this card I picked up and when I turned it over it was looking at it I thought it looks like this place because I see the chimneys and uh, it was a photograph of the house and funnily enough four, I think it was 42 years later I was going back to Normandy and uh, I thought I'd take that little photograph back I know it's near or in Mondreville or Tourville I'll take it with me I was sat next to a chap he was uh, named Le Goff, who I know to this day. I got a little photograph. Yeah, I'm taking this back home. I, and if I can, one of the day, uh, these days I'll come back to this area in peacetime. And he looked at it and he said, he, we handed it over to an elderly lady there who happened to be his mother. And his mother got a bit excited. And Le Goff then told me, um, his mother, it was his mother's house and to this day we it's, it's our house they said you've you got a house in Normandy <laughs> and if we go over it's our house sort of thing you know we've been there for, entertained and all the rest of one of those quirks of of military life but, yeah. uh, but I was always inquisitive uh, about things that were going on when, when you, I mean, in the actual, when you were in action, nothing else counted but staying alive. So you dug like a. Uh, I remember an experienced miner showing me how to dig, and how to use a shovel as a fulcrum. And he said, "Don't start digging as if you're digging your garden. Die. Get down on your knees, and use the handle of the shovel, because you, you were digging in all the time for protection. You know." And uh, it was it was a marvelous tip because you you did you people have a way of digging which is very different you know mm. and he, I remember he got down on his knees and he said this is the way to dig and he dug like that and used the handle to lift it out and um, we would uh, dig it in was part of your life they used to say to us uh, dig or die uh, and kill or be killed remember at the end of the day. When all the chips are down, it's kill or be killed. That's what your job is. Difficult to comprehend. 
We used to get what they call a green envelope, and on the outside of the envelope was a, the, the address, space for the address. Then there was a little declaration that you had to make, that there was nothing in that green envelope that would in any way assist the enemy or provide them with information. You weren't allowed to put anything in, and you had to declare it on the actual envelope. So, you know, you realise the need for safety, like, because otherwise, on its way, you could be got and chaps would say, we are now at so-and-so, and which was not on, like. Every so often, they used to say to a chap, you'd been in action and you didn't sleep, and they'd say to you, 24 hours LOB, and you'd get your kit together, and you'd go back to a place called B. Echelon, just about a couple of miles behind the actual fight in front. And you go back to B.S. one, and you have a shower, which was a bucket on a tilt that you pulled a rope and you showered with it. And very often it wasn't that warm. <laughs> so that was the way you showered and got clean. Because you got, you got, naturally you got very dirty, you know. And um, so you go back and you have a shower and then you, main idea was to, uh, so they took to sleep and there were slit trenches there but you were safe there. It was back, well, a bit beyond what they call B echelon, which was behind the fight in front, you know. And you'd have this uh, slit trench and you could sleep in there and disturbed it in a way. But I had a pal, a chap, I'm thinking of his name now, he came from up country, a pal of mine, Esketh. His name was Arthur Hesketh, and um, he was on LOB, left out of battle, and he told me that he, he was in the trench, and suddenly, like an express train, that's how he described it to me, and he's flying through the air, his arms and legs, he said, I remember my arms and legs flying about. That's the first thing, and then I studied to the ground, and I could hear Two of the fellows who came with me on, on LOB, I could hear one of them saying, Arthur, are you all right? Arthur, are you all right? And I could remember saying, yes, I'm all right. But after that, I woke up in a hospital in Scotland and he was awfully wounded. He, didn't, he was so badly wounded, he didn't realise it at the time. He'd be, he flew through the air and down, crashed. And, but Arthur was badly wounded. But he recovered, he became a civil servant, and he, and he married Elsie. Well, Stan was in the same battalion as me, but in a different platoon. And um, they would be in action there, we'd be in action over there. But in training, we'd been together all the time, and, that, and I knew Stan, and I knew where his parents lived in Newport. Um, Splot, no, not Splot, that's Cardiff. But anyway, Stan's parents lived in Newport because I went, after he was killed, I went to see his mother down there in Newport. And his father insisted on taking me out for a drink. <laughs> and I think he was trying to get me married off his daughter. Because <laughs> I forget her name now. But he was forever saying, why don't you take whatever her name was, to the pictures that I had died. <laughs> I was Stan's parents. Uh, 
where we'd been friends in the training and that and everything. And I can remember him saying to me, when we, we met briefly, when his platoon were going past our platoon, and he, they were stopped there. And he said, hello, die, and he stepped out and he said, it won't be long now. I can remember the words exactly. Won't be long now, die. It'll be over soon. Shook hands, gone. How I remember him particularly, because we got, we were dug in near a barn. And I went into this barn, a German barn, you know, big place. And I went to the barn and I could see it was two or three pairs of legs, khaki colour ammunition boots lying there with sacks over them. And I thought there were some of the boys there and I pulled the socks back and there was Stan lying there, dead. They'd put him in the barn, they were ready to be taken back. So I went to see his mother in in uh, Newport. <laughs> and his father was there. And he said, come now, you'll go and have a drink. And off we went to have a drink. This school that's named after me and my pal, Tom Griffiths, uh, it's called the Eccle Edwards Griffiths. It's in the village of Bondrainville. In Normandy, there's Touville, Bondreville, and these are areas where we fought as infantrymen during the war. And nobody was more surprised than me than when they decided, and this is interesting as well, they decided, first of all, to name a street after my pal and colleague of those times in the army, Edward Chapman, Ted Chapman, VC, BEM, very well-known Welsh soldier who won the VC in Germany on Dye's birthday, 2nd of April, 1945. He won the VC in Germany. And um, Ted and I were great friends, f both in the army and after. We were friends for many years, went on holidays together and all that sort of thing. And that's and, and in Maudrinville in Normandy, there's a road which they named Rue Edward Chapman, after Ted. And they also named a school after my pal and I, who were there, my pal Tom Griffiths and myself, and they named a school, Ecole Edwards Griffiths, which was lovely for us. Interesting, the kids loved it. And the kids have exchanged visits. They've been as school children to Abergavenny, and the Abergavenny children have been to, to Normandy. Before I went to the army, my father, who was in the army, he was a sergeant in the Monmouthshire Regiment for quite a long time. And he said to me, before you go, Dave, get yourself a haircut. And so religiously I went to the barbers and I had what in those days was called a short back and sides. And I had this haircut and it was short back and sides. Where they cut it up to there, and very short. And I bomb parade with the Bombish Regiment. Was it the Bombs or was I in training? Anyway, I was on parade and a lot of young fellas like me were there. And the the corporal, I, I think he was a corporal, he had a big stick they used to put under their left arm and strut about everywhere giving orders. And he came along and he said, when I 
touches you on the shoulder with my stick, it means Eckert. And I thought, oh, I'm, I stood there in the line and I thought, oh, Dad was right. Yeah, I was clever. I was sensible, telling me. And I've had one, so I'm okay. Suddenly the stick comes down on my shoulder from behind. Hecat, he growled, you know, Hecat. And I t made a mistake and I turned and I said, I had one yesterday, Corporal. Oh, did you have one yesterday? Oh, I see, you had one yesterday. You'll have another one, a bloody proper one. <laughs> That's how they thought haircuts were important, you know. So I marched off with this group and there was one chap, they called him Curly and he was, he was Curly. And he stood with us and he stood in front of us. I can see that stick now, he was brandishing it and putting it back out of his arm and all that. And he said, Thompson, I think his name was Thompson, Thompson, you were first. And Thompson goes, and he came out and it was all gone. Everything, all the curls and everything were gone. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.